Hi guys, welcome to another episode in our Mastermind series. This is when we take a single topic and bring in conversations that I've had with some of the greatest artists, experts, teachers, the wisest people that I've met over the last six years of doing this work. And today we're talking about mindset. Mindset has got to be one of the most essential foundations for becoming the person you want to be, achieving the goals you want to achieve, being the best mama, daddy, partner, boss, leader, like you name it. Mindset is the key to everything. Mindset is us understanding that we cannot control what happens to us. We can't control what goes on in the world, but we can control our reaction to it. We can control our thought pattern. We can control what happens next. And today I've handpicked a really eclectic group of people because I thought it would be interesting to hear from every kind of background and perspective and worldview on this topic. So no matter who you are and why you need to learn about mindset, there's going to be someone in today's episode that can speak just to you. You're going to hear from Nick Stananastaso, who has spoken on the rise stage for us, is one of the most incredible leaders in body positivity and overcoming obstacles and challenges. Nick was born without arms or legs and has absolutely thrived. And in the conversation, he explained how his parents contributed to that, how his upbringing was hugely influential in the man that he is today, but more than anything, how having a strong mindset made it so that he could achieve the unbelievable, awesome, incredible career he has today. You're going to hear from Robin Arzon, who's one of my favorite Peloton instructors, Colin O'Brady, who was the first person to walk across Antarctica unaided. I think it took something like 54 days he walked by himself <laughs> across Antarctica. So you're going to hear from this adventurer. You're going to hear from musical artist Andy Grammer as he talks about overcoming addiction and struggles with his mental health and finally one of our favorite guests ever Gretchen Rubin author podcaster wise human being that she is is going to give her perspective on mindset too so it's a really great collection of conversations today guys and I hope that one of these teachers says something that just sparks the exact thought that you needed today to learn and grow and do the very best you can. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This 
is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I am a reformed lawyer turned athlete, ultra marathoner, vice president of fitness programming and head instructor at Peloton. So my life is um, involving a lot of movement, but I didn't run my first mile until I was in law school. So my transformation journey started with a pair of running shoes. And now I live my life to get people moving. Honestly, I just learned by doing. And thankfully, I have, um, I love that that kind of the energy and the rush. And I'm sure you can relate of like presenting Mm -hmm. and being around a group of people who are kind of ready to do something, make a change, have a conversation, move. And, um, you know, that definitely keeps me going on the bike and on the tread. When I was starting to learn how to teach spin, like I couldn't order songs. I couldn't hear the beat. I couldn't (laughs) speak while cycling. I could, I mean, and this was at a tiny local studio in Union Square in New York City where I kind of got my, got my feet wet. And thankfully, I mean, there were classes where literally one person would show up and I would just be like, you know what, we're going to do this. And I am so grateful for that experience, not only for the, for the team who really helped form, you know, my, my, the basis of my teaching, but even more so all the times I failed in that experience. The core of who I am was definitely always kind of there. I'm I'm grateful that my parents really nurtured that backbone in me always. But I like to think of um, if we view ourselves as superheroes, you know, we're always picking up more tools for our superhero toolkit. And so now movement is definitely one of my primary tools. But um, as a lawyer, I was definitely scrappy and hungry and hardworking. Um, Yeah, and I always... I needed to always, so something that appealed to me about um, the wellness community was the ability to show up and do things unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And um, that confidence that you get from a solid workout or a solid run to then go into the other areas of, areas of your life and be like, I am this thing. So yeah. as I fell in love with running and I fell in love with, with fitness. It made me even more confident when I could go into a partner's law office and be like, I have this idea, you know? So yes. they, they really go hand in hand. And now as a business person, all of that law stuff informs what I do every single day, you know, viewing fitness as a, as a, as a business. The analogy I use is when, when you see someone, you, you know, you might see someone walking down the street and they are so confident and they might, they might be wearing an outfit that is very unconventional. And you're like, wow, like she's rocking that, but I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And what I submit into the universe is why not me? Like, that's what I would love your listeners to take away. It's like, why not you to start that business, take that cooking class, leave the bad relationship? Like, why not mm-hmm. you? And that, um, for me, it was like little by little, I started to chip away at the limiting beliefs and the paralyzing, mm-hmm. the, the, the way fear is so paralyzing. And mm-hmm. I started to just, I feel like you have to invite discomfort in as if it's a friend. And I look at discomfort and pride as cousins. And they're all invited to my holiday table. And they're all, invited, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and, and you know, you're not, you're not going to exclude any, any family. So it's like discomfort mm-hmm. is here. And then with that, we'll also invite pride. It's a platform, right? It's a stepping stone. So uh, my friend Rich Roll uses, um, says we have to build the house. So I think every time you get uncomfortable, you're putting one more brick in that foundation. And if you're doing exactly what you already know you can do, how are you pushing the edges? How are you evolving? And I like when folks take an inventory of their skill set and they're honest about it. So it's like, where do you need to level up? Do you have to take a class? Do you need to phone a friend and figure out like, you know, 
let them see your blind spots. Let them tell you your blind spots. I think once you get uncomfortable with that discomfort, you're more willing to kind of dive a little deeper into the thing, mm-hmm. either the tough conversations or, you know, all the things that kind of we avoid, whether it's your taxes or, you know, having a conversation with your partner. Somebody could listen to every single one of your podcasts, read both of your books cover to cover, but you have to, instead of trying to figure it out, at some point you just have to start acting it out. But in order mm-hmm. to act it out, you have to carve out enough space, whether it's five minutes or an hour a day, enough space for your brain to go there. Right. So that's like the, that's the discomfort, that's the discomfort that that I think feeds me every day. Cause I'm like, if I am always the smartest in the room, if I'm always the loudest in the conversation, if I'm always feeling good, am I really reaching? Probably not. Having an awareness that you want to make that change is actually a, a huge step. And I want to remind folks that whether you feel stuck or you feel like you're at the very beginning of the journey, that plateau, that feeling of stasis is just the launching pad. It's just an ability to rise up, right? Rise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would say two practical things. You want to find the type of movement that you could learn to like. Notice I said learn to like, because that first workout, that 10th workout, even that thousandth workout, they're not necessarily going to feel good because you're working hard. So back to that mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, just because your friend is taking you to that dance class, maybe that's not your jam. Maybe it's, yep. maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's cycling. Maybe it's bar. There are so many ways to move. Um, you know, obviously my preferred modalities are cycling and running, but that doesn't have to be your jam. So start to be curious about ways that you might like to work out. Um, Get curious about your own greatness, like an Indiana Jones explorer, like how can I be so dope? Uh, And the second is really telling folks about your goal and letting them support you, right? So whether it's calling your sister over to get that babysitter, whether it's telling your partner, you know what, I really need to take 15 minutes to walk around walk around the neighborhood after dinner. So sometimes carving out that time feels really selfish. And also it's even more daunting when you feel like it's new, you're uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you're impacting other people in your life. You don't want to be that person alone at the gym or alone at the class. So there are a lot of impediments. So I'd say like creating a letting folks uh, in your life know about this goal and b setting up yourself up for success. So don't sign up for the gym that's 30 miles away from your house if you can avoid it. Maybe it is a hat that you do in your living room. And celebrate totally. the small victories. We get really overwhelmed when we're like, oh my gosh, it's X amount of pounds or I have to do this distance or this. Just start with 10 minutes because everybody yeah. has 10 minutes. Um, yeah. So I would say start small and celebrate the victories because it, it really is just little by little amounts to a lot. I live my life like I am in a Rocky Balboa movie montage. I <laughs> That and like maybe like 50% Rocky Balboa, 50% like on stage with Beyonce at her on her home. Yes. Home yes. Performance. A hundred percent. So, you know, the, and my point is make the mental movie real. And this applies to literally everything in your life. So something I've learned as as an athlete and getting into the mental space of an athlete is starting to visualize that literal or figurative finish line. And sometimes that takes a little bit of a, a, you know, it takes takes creativity because sometimes inserting yourself as the hero in in your own movie is a little bit weird, but like you are. So Mm -hmm. you might as well start to play with those images and, and dreams in ways that inspire you because um, we can really can be so vicious internally. So it's like, flip it on its head. What if it were all going to work out? 
what would that look like? How would you feel? You know, um, so that as, as an athlete, as an ultra marathoner, visualizing, visualizing the finish line has been critical, but then mm-hmm. I extrapolate that a little bit bigger and it's like, okay, what goes on my vision board? Okay. You know, and all the ways that you work with your, your subscribers to kind of write it down and make an action plan. Like mm-hmm. for me, that mental acuity has been, um, has been my biggest gift as an athlete. There aren't many things in life that allow us the, the space to actually hear our own thoughts. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, you know, totally. Whether it's social media or the car radio or your kids running around or your, part, you know, whatever it is, but your coworker, there's a lot of noise. And for me, my North star has always been running allowed my, in, my inner monologue to be my North star rather than like mm-hmm. the next thing and the fragment and the next email. And the, and I still get caught up in that too. Of course I'm human, but my anchor really is is movement the day I stopped accepting free shoes my life changed so working with a lot of brands, you know, and they were like they were they were kind of seeing this conversation bubble up and I and it would you know I'd get a kit and I would be like oh my gosh like this is amazing but I'm like how do I pay my rent because I can't give my landlord these free shoes shoes yes no so of course I was grateful I mean it was like there was there's such a period of time you're like oh people notice me a hundred percent any you know as an entrepreneur you're like oh I'll take that even if you know you're undervaluing yourself mm-hmm. and so there has to be that pivot point where you're like I appreciate this and I'm grateful but I'm but, also of yeah. value yes um and that is when I realized oh I am leading a conversation participating in a movement that is hasn't exactly been done before and yeah. we're doing our way. So let's go ahead and continue that and capitalize on that um, in ways that make people feel included with dynamic momentum. And that thankfully, like a lot of those conversations happened organically on social media. And then I got my book deal. And so a lot of these things really happened organically, but you have to be smart and, and surgical about how you're having these conversations because not everything should be given away for free. It's really powerful when we see people like yourself holding space. You know what I mean? Like I think what you've done with your books and your, I mean, just all the ways that you access your community, our community is you're just like, I'm going to hold this space for you until t- you wake up again tomorrow and decide, all right, I'm going to try again. You know, yes. and that is, that's also what we're doing at Peloton. You know, it's like every little workout, every little time that you're chipping away at that limiting belief, it's like you've won. But, you know, we're, we're humans. We've got to wake up the next day and then look for inspiration one more again and again and again. And that's, that's the beauty of um, that willpower muscle is that we, we get to continually strengthen it. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. 
And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. I am a bodybuilder, a model, um, global motivational speaker, and um, just a goofball. But um, I was born with Hanhart syndrome, and what that is, what that is, is a super rare genetic disorder that either leaves the babies with undeveloped limbs or undeveloped organs. And so, me, me being 22 when I was born in 1996, I was the 12th baby in medical history that they've ever seen this happen to. And so, basically, I'm a unicorn, and I'm I'm happy to be here and and, and grateful to be alive. Um, but like I said, that syndrome left me with uh, no legs and one arm. So doing it all with no legs and one arm. At the time of my birth, um, when when the doctor said, you know, your your son is born with Hanhart syndrome and his face might be messed up and his he's missing his legs and his arms, um, they gave me a thirty percent chance to live. And what my parents did is is so important. And they looked at each other and said, listen, we're going to focus on that thirty percent. Like we're like okay, like the seventies there, but we're going to focus on the thirty percent. And that's kind of reinforcing the rule of like focusing on the negative will never serve you. And so my parents, you know, there was so much negativity going on. Um, like your son won't be able to do this. We don't know if he's going to survive all this stuff. And, and in the midst of that chaos, my parents were able to just stay positive and focus on that 30%. Because if you really break it down, like in any situation of life, if you focus your energy on the negative, it doesn't serve you. Like it's not empowering. And so, you know, my parents did the right thing and focused on that 30%. You know, my whole life, I just knew things were going to be hard. I always tell people that's one of my biggest advantages is like everything that I tried, I fell on my face, you know? And so as, as a young kid, I always, you know, exercise the muscle of doing things are hard or just having, having, you know, boundaries in front of me or barriers in front of me. And so when that came, I was just like, all right, like this, this is the solution. Like this is what I have to do. And I was also going to you know, improve my quality of life because I always had to hide my arm and it wasn't very comfortable. But I think the second thing that, that drove it home is Rachel, I was in such a, such a low place and people didn't know because, you know, I always felt like I was the lighthouse and, and my, my energy is contagious. And if people see I'm upset, then they're going to be upset. And so I would just throw on this mask and go to school, but I was in such, such a low point because, you know, like middle school and high school, not only is the most judgmental time of your life, but like girls and guys, like, you know, like dating and all that stuff. Like that was a huge thing. And I just felt like no one, no one liked me. I just felt like that. I was just so, so different physically that, you know, girls didn't love on me. I didn't get that love. And so I figured that if I could do something that was going to build me up, you know, that it was so worth it. Like, I don't even care what the sacrifice was. I just wanted to feel comfortable in my skin. And so if that means, you know, taking, taking the extreme and amputating some of my arm, but like that led me to the wrestling to be with my team. Right. And to be, to be labeled as an athlete and a wrestler. And, and that brought my hopes up. And so I think that just in my head, I knew like, yo, this is worth it. You know, this is a, this is a sacrifice, but for me, it's just another day, you know, it's another day of doing something that, you know, people didn't think I could do or um, calling me crazy, you know, amputating my arm, you know, I was doing the wrestling thing. And, and it saved my life. I found, you know, the impact I have on other people. But wrestling also, also gave me enough confidence to put myself out on the internet. And so I was, I was thinking of an idea. I wanted to create something that was so eye-catching that, you know, it had to go viral. Like, there was no way this would fail. And so, you know, I'm thinking with my friends. I said, you know, what has never been done? 
and then I was like, how many, how many legless guys are crawling around Walmart pretending to be a zombie? Like, I don't see many like legless <laughs> pranksters out there. And they're like, dude, that's a great idea. And so, you know, I, I threw fake blood on my face. I threw fake blood on my clothes. And I set out to my local Walmart in New Jersey, which Nick's not allowed in that Walmart anymore. I've been kicked out like three times. They're like, dude, just don't come back. Um, but we set out for a victim. And so, you know, I came around the corner and I did my zombie screech. I was like, Rah! and I scared this guy and he, and he threw the paper towels at my face and I captured this video in six seconds. And I was like, oh my God, you know, it worked. And so I posted this video and my goal, you know, behind the video, I was like, man, if this reaches 500 people, 500 kids or adults, because Rachel, I knew how it felt to be dis- like absolutely disgusted in my body. I knew how it felt to be unconfident and not feel like you're good enough. And you know, even as we do this interview, there are millions of people listening. There are millions of kids and adults that just don't feel like they're good enough or pretty enough, whatever it may be. So I wanted to create a way where people can look on their phone and, you know, see my video, whatever I was doing and go, wow, you know, look at this kid living his best life. You know, maybe I could be, be a little bit more confident in my situation. And so posted the video. It went super viral, gained like 50,000 followers in a day. And that led me to starting these pranks, which I gained a million followers in under a year. And, um, got hired by, you know, Fox to scare Norman Reedus in Tokyo, Japan. I got to do really amazing things, but I realized that it wasn't really fulfilling me anymore. And that, you know, when Nick has grandkids and kids that I want them to know me for much more than crawling around Walmart. And so I needed to do something. I needed to do something bigger and better. And so I I actually went out to LA um, on a business venture and the show didn't get picked up and I went super broke. Um, uh, I, I was sleeping on paper towels. I wasn't eating much. And, um, I, I refused to tell my parents I was broke and I, I spent six months in LA just not really doing much. And so when I came home, I was, I was kind of at another rock bottom. Like, what are you going to do? And I looked at the fitness industry and just like any under, any, any other industry. And I was like, man, there's no man with no legs and one arm bodybuilding. Let me be that guy. Because, you know, I, I took advantage of my unicorn factor. I called it the unicorn, like shock and all, but like just being a unicorn in the industry. And so I started lifting and, and at first, you know, people made fun of me and they're like, dude, like, how are you going to be a bodybuilder? You have half a body. And I was like, all right, well, at least my top half of my body will be more shredded than your whole entire body. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, <laughs> just prove, not only proving other people wrong, but proof, proof to myself um, that I could do it. And so people, people started to catch on and my physique started to change and that led me to competing and, and meeting the rock and, and kind of giving me enough confidence, you know, to to go on and do other things. And I, and I think like, you know, Ed talks about it a lot, but just keeping your word within yourself and like saying you're going to do these little micro goals, like you build such, such a confidence in yourself that like, you're just a machine. Like you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. I say, I'm going to do it and it's going to happen. And so I just said that I was going to become a speaker. I was going to become a, a model and a bodybuilder. And I told everyone, I was like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I want to let you know that I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to show you hands on that when you physically throw yourselves in uneasy waters, this is going to force yourself to learn. This is going to force yourself to figure out what you need to do to achieve your goals. And, and that's what I always, I always constantly bring that up because people are like, man, you're successful in business and you, and you're successful modeling and all this stuff. And I tell people like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I got into the game. And, you know, that's much more important than sitting on the, you know, the sidelines, double, double, double guessing or, you know, thinking about all the reasons why you can't do something. I'd rather just throw myself in the game and figure out, figure it out. My my approach is like, I never, I never come at people. I always come at them in a supportive way. I'll never be like, are you kidding me? You know, because I don't want to, I just, I just want to be that good guy, like good energy. 
And mm-hmm. so for me, um, I think like with the body image, everyone, like it happens to everyone, right? Like everyone in one point of their life, they're like, I hate the way I look. But like, especially now, like we are primed to compare ourselves. Like we are, comp- com- like we are primed to compare ourselves on, on social media, what, what d- people's bodies look like. Like it's a, it's a crazy time. And so we are primed to always just pick out our flaws and pick out our weaknesses. And, and, and it's funny because on some of the seminars, I do an exercise where we unveil like people's strengths and, you know, they're like, Oh my God, like, this is amazing. I'm always focused on what I'm not good at. And that's like the human, the human nature is to just focus on, like you look in the mirror and you start picking yourself apart of all the things that you hate about yourself. And so the only way to kind of come back from that is like, you need to retrain your brain to like, only focus on what what you love about yourself because it, it goes back to that one message in the beginning, like any area of your life, like focusing on the negative, it, it's not going to serve you. And, and so rather than that, like for me, I realized like, okay, I'm in this body, you know, and there was a point where I was absolutely disgusted with my body and I wanted to take my life and I thought it was it, but that was me attaching a negative emotion behind it like attaching negative, negative, um, sentences behind it. Right. I would think about myself and I'd be like, man, like girls don't like me because I have no legs, one arm, and I can't walk a girl to her locker and I can't hold her hand because I have one finger and I can't open her locker and I can't hold her books. All these thoughts were coming through my head, like literally. And even to this day as a 22 year old dude, like I can be in public and I can still think about that stuff. And that's not empowering, but my whole life changed when I put an empowering meaning behind my body. And my empowering meaning was, okay, Nick, you're in this body. This is the way you look. You're, you're, you're great looking. You're just missing some limbs. And, <laughs> and, and so basically, if a girl doesn't want to connect with you on an, on an intimate level, if a girl doesn't want to hang out with you or, or do things with you because of your physical body, well, then that means that your disability or whatever it is, is an organic filter and it's filtering out the girls that you don't want in your life anyway. Yes. How empowering is that? So good. Right? And so it's just attaching a positive meaning behind it because like I said, Rachel, even to this day, I can start, I can focus on all the things that I can't do, you know? And that would sink me back on my hole. But instead I view to, I, I, I choose to view my body and women like that. You know, I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs and business people that, you know, they're very heavily successful in business and then they kind of lack in their health. And so the analogy I like to use, I love cars. And so say you view your body as a Ferrari, because we, we should all view ourselves as Ferraris. We're amazing. We can do amazing things. But if you're putting regular gas into a Ferrari, how is that Ferrari going to perform? Mm-hmm. It's not going to perform like a Ferrari is supposed to perform. And so People need to, you know, just be more aware that our bodies are temples, right? And and so our mind and our body are connected. And so when we're fueling ourselves with the right fuel and we're getting in the gym and moving our bodies, then we're going to perform at a much better level than rather than if your health is off, right? And yeah. so I think it's just looking as yourself, looking at f- like, like fu- food as fuel, like fueling yourself. Um, but for me, I, th- I mean, fitness was a game changer. It was one of the things that got me known, but most importantly, it was it made me feel so comfortable about my body. Humans love progress. Like we love that feeling. And so even if you're losing a little bit of weight at a time, like that is going to build you up because you see yourself moving forward. You're not moving backward. You're not stagnant. You're moving forward. And so we, we get like a high off progress and it kind of snowballs. And so you just become, you become a better person. You become a beast when you just work on yourself. Right. And you, and you know yeah. how far you can push yourself in the gym mentally and physically 
and you know you you just get your body moving get yourself in in peak state so you know like all of us like you ed like we all love fitness right and so mm-hmm. it's it's not only the physical but it's also therapeutic right it's just a it's just to get our mind clear and and it's also a time for me i don't know about you but to just put my phone off and just like all right, like this is my time, right? This is my time to just like take it out on the weights. Yeah, it's amazing to have, you know, millions or, or a couple friends that, that support you. But hey, bottom line is the only person that needs to support your vision is you. You know, yeah. like it all comes down to you. And, and, and that was probably the one thing that I realized early on is like no one's coming to save me. You know, like no one's coming to work out for me. No one's coming to build a business for me. No one's coming to, you know, feed me. I got to do it on my own. I get a lot of people ask me like, man, I haven't found my why or I haven't found something I'm passionate about. I tell them you haven't tried enough things. Like you, you, haven't, you haven't experienced enough things. Like you don't know if you're going to enjoy something if you never try it. And so, you know, everything now, like I throw my, like I do it more now than I did before. I throw myself into things, like things that I've never done before. I, I, I throw myself in that because I use like uncomfortable situations when I'm uncomfortable or when I'm nervous or I'm like kind of second guessing myself. I use it as an anchor and I'm like, Nick, like you're about to level up. Like you're about to evolve as a human being. You're going to push yourself in some way that you don't want to do. And this is going to lead to growth. And so for, for example, like snowboarding, like it was just an idea. And then all of a sudden we got a prototype and I was shredding down a mountain. Next thing you know, I'm doing it. Like it's just, I would have never known if I enjoyed something, if I never tried it. And now like on my goal list, uh, like I wrote it down last night, like become a professional like Paralympic snowboarder like why not why not like, you know like why not and and that's my whole that's another that's another quote of mine like not mine but like my kind of like mantra is like why not right like yeah. everything like why can't I do that and I think I think most people are like I like it, it's it, it's the opposite of why not it's more like oh I can't do that right mm-hmm. I think I just think that like the self-talk in our heads is like everything and it, it, when you approach your, when you approach like, oh, I don't want to do that or that's scary, like forget that. Like, oh, I'm about to level up. Like I'm about to get out of my comfort zone. It's going to be messy, but like I'm going to become a better person after this session or after this workout, after this dance class. I don't know. I just use that stuff as, as an anchor. It's so powerful to let people know like you struggle, mm-hmm. right? Because they just think we, you know, we're energizer bunnies and we never have bad days. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah I, I have, I have low days and I, I've, I've analyzed and I figured out that my lowest days come from the times that I'm stagnant or, you know, kind of just maybe chilling too much. You know, life's busy, like we're traveling all over. But if I have too much time to just chill, um, I kind of just get in a slump or if I don't have anything going on. And so my technique is if you find yourself in a slump right now or in a rut or something, like I always tell people, do one thing today that you, you know is going to move you forward as a human being. And that's in any area of your life, whether that's health, right? Going to the gym or eating healthy or reading a book or doing yoga or waking up, like do something that you just normally don't do or, or you, or you want to do that, you know, is going to make you into a better human being. Because I think, I think it just takes one spark of, of progress or one spark of, you know, getting moving and doing something to turn that day around. A lot of us are just going, 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 and we don't give ourselves enough time to self-reflect on how far we came. And I think that that's super important to, to reflect back on the journey and, and kind of, you know, uh, applaud yourself. You know, we don't do it too much, but we do it enough to just, you know, keep ourselves on, on the on the on the game plan. Um, and so I do a lot of self-reflecting now because I didn't I didn't do that in the past. You know, I didn't have time to smell the flowers, so to say. Right. I just kind of just kept going. And so now I kind of I take each day by day and and I kind of ask myself, how am I, how am I feeling? You know, how are you feeling today? Like, what is, what is something that can make you happy or 
or you know, what do you need to do to get yourself out of this mood? But I think the one thing is just doing something like doing any little thing that is going to move you forward as a, as a human being to start that like spark. If you're in a low state, like you got to sit in the guck for a little bit. And the yeah. reason why you got to sit in the guck for a little bit is you need to analyze how you're feeling, you're breathing, the way you're, the way you're thinking and realize, man, I don't, I don't want to feel like this, but like you, you got to sit in it to know what it feels like. So you don't want to be there. You, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so take that time, sit in the guck and then, you know, you got to get yourself out of there. But it, I think it's important to sit in the guck because you're like, man, I don't want to feel like this. Like, yeah. I don't want to be in this state. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. Yes, I'm a writer, and um, I write about human nature, so I'm probably best known for my book, The Happiness Project, and I also wrote a book called Better Than Before, which is all about habit change, The Four Tendencies, which is all about a personality profile that divides people into four personality types, and I have a new book called Outer Order, Inner Calm, uh, Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. When you're finishing up a book, but it hasn't hit the shelves yet, there's kind of this open space, because your job is kind of done, and the next the next stage of your job has not yet come. And so I had a little moment of reflection and I was stuck on a city bus in the pouring, pouring rain. And I looked out the window and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? You know, I had one of these rare opportunities for reflection and I thought I want to be happy. And I thought I say that, but I don't spend any time thinking about whether I am happy or whether I could be happier. 
And I thought, you know, I should have a happiness project is that, you know, there is no magic one size fits all solution. And people want to say like the secret to life is to get up at 6am and go running first thing or, you know, and, or, or, you know, everyone should have a hundred friends or, or, and it's like, well, maybe (laughs) everyone, we're all different and, and we're happiest when we have a life that reflects our own interests, our own values, our own temperament, our own, you know, um, character. And the more that I tried to unknow myself and shape my my life around what was true about me instead of some fantasy self or the way I, I assumed I should be or what other people expected me for, to be, then I became happier. This is a kind of a well-established psychological principle that we think that or we assume that we act because of the way we feel. But to a very large degree, we feel because of the way we act. So it's like your brain, your brain is thinking, wow, there's so much yelling and slamming of doors around here. I guess we're really angry. And then that amplifies your feeling of anger. And so what this means is you can use this to your advantage. So like, let's say you're feeling very sluggish. If you act with more energy, if you walk more quickly, if you talk with more energy, you will start to feel more energetic. Or if you're feeling really shy and you're like, okay, I'm just going to pretend to be really friendly and outgoing, you will start to feel more outgoing. Um, If you are feeling very resentful or angry at someone in your life and you think, okay, I'm just going to show my gratitude for, for this person, you will actually start to boost feelings of gratitude. Or like, you know, don't wait until you feel like kissing your sweetheart because just go ahead and kiss. And from the yeah. kiss comes the feeling of affection. So this is a, way, a lot of times we feel much like our emotions are just happening to us, but this is a, this is one of the many ways where we can actually direct our emotional, um, our emotional state. I think it's very hard to just like sit there and change your emotional state from the inside. So I'm always looking for like, what can you do on the outside to go yes. in and yes. acting the way you want to feel is a way to do something. It's you can, you can make your, you can't make yourself feel loving, but you can, or at least I can't, but I can make myself kiss my husband. And then if kissing mm-hmm. my husband makes me feel loving, well then problem solved. The way you behave very much influences the way people behave toward you. And so if you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be home. Come give me a hug. Everybody's going to be like, oh yay, mommy's home and comes running in. If you kind of slink in and are hoping nobody notices you, then they're going to be like, oh, you know, they're not going to yeah. give you that big response. And so it can, it, by acting friendly, people act more friendly toward you. Like if you smile more, people smile more at you. And then you feel like you're living in a friendlier universe. So part mm-hmm. of it is also that feedback. We all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a friend and inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to do a better job of washing my face every night. Um, that's my own inner expectation. So yes. upholders regularly meet outer and inner expectations. So they they keep the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if it makes sense. So they are making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they will do it. No problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. They resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, uh, unjustified. They always need to know why. And their motto is, I'll comply if you convinced me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this tendency. This was sort of the origin of the whole tendencies framework was when a friend said to me, 
the thing that's weird is I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, mm. when she had a yep. team and a coach expecting her to show up, no problem. But when she was trying to go on her own, it's a struggle. So the, so obligers need outer accountability to meet those inner expectations. So their motto is you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. Then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. Like they wouldn't sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday because they're going to think, I don't know what I want to, I just want to wake up on Saturday and see what I feel like doing. And I just, the fact (laughs) somebody's expecting me to show up is going to annoy me. Um, And their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. If you're looking at an individual person, they do better when they're in a place where it doesn't go against the grain of their, of their natural tendency. So like, let's say you have Mm -hmm. a questioner and this questioner is in a workplace where it's like, Hey, listen, we're all team players here. We get the word from corporate and we execute, like we're all here together and we're here to do what you want us to do. Questioner's going to be like, I'm not here to do uh, like the fact that corporate tells us to do it. Like, I don't know if I agree with that. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. Like no one's explaining to me why we're switching to this other software. And that might not help that questioner in that workplace, but at a different workplace, that aspect of the questioner's nature might be highly rewarded. And so I think it's a, it's a matter of fit and getting yourself into a place where uh, your, your, all of your natural characteristics are a plus. For instance, rebels often do well in sales because in sales, a lot of times the message is really, listen, man, whatever you got to do to get this sale, yeah, you got to do it. And a rebel feels totally comfortable with that. Whereas I'm like, but what are the rules and what are the deadlines? And like, I feel like this isn't right. And, you know, he wants me to like give him a little flexibility here, but this is what corporate says, you know, like that would not, I would not do well like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more about match. It's more about like finding a good match. I love all these personality frameworks like you, like I love them, but I feel like they each have kind of their own nuance and their own strengths. And then when you try to match them up, sometimes you kind of lose some of what makes that framework special yeah interesting and so insightful. I, yeah mm-hmm. so or like uh what is it myers-briggs i have a friend who's like an expert in myers-briggs and he did this whole analysis for me but i was kind of like but i think it's kind of missing the point of myers-briggs to do this i feel like it you know <laughs> but the one yeah. thing i'll say is not true people constantly are trying to tell me that the tendencies correspond to that houses of hogwarts and this is just oh my gosh true. are you kidding and that's here, hilarious here is why not hermione fred George. They are all Gryffindor. Yes. They are not all the same <laughs> tendency. Absolutely oh not. God. You know, so that I will say no. That is hilarious. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you, you know, they say me research is me search. Um, and definitely <laughs> I'm always trying to understand myself and kind of what I think through writing. It's like, what do I think about this? I don't know until I read a book about it. Um, but but um, but I will say that with outer order, that was something where I'm like, I feel this way, but also other people, like I was seeing that other, I was like, I thought this was just like my private like thing that I got such such a kick out of creating outer order. And like, I begged my friends to let me come over and help them clear, clear their closets, but it's actually quite widespread. And so that was something where I was like, you know what? I'm not the only one that feels like this. Um, like, so I was responding or like with better, better than before the book about habit change. One of the things that puzzled me after the happiness project and happier at home came out 
was people kept saying to me, well, how did you get yourself to follow all those resolutions? And I'd say, well, mm-hmm. you know, I just picked things that I thought would make me happier. And then I did them. And if they made me happier, I kept doing them. And they'd look at me really puzzled and they'd say, but yes. how did you get yourself to do them? And I was like, I don't understand what the problem is here. You probably feel <laughs> the same way as it, Rachel. Yes. As, as, as 100%. So, so part of it, I was trying to understand, like they are experiencing something or being puzzled by something that I don't experience. So I was trying to answer a question for myself, but it was a question that was prompted by uh, a response I was getting from my readers. Like mm-hmm. I remember the habit book, I my I was trying to get my mother to exercise and I, you know, I am a happiness bully. My sister calls me that. Um, and so I was trying <laughs> to figure out like, why was she not exercising? Because she kept saying she wanted to. And I kept looking at books about habit formation and they were very interesting and everything. I'm like, but nobody's talking about how to change a habit. Like they're all skipping the most important thing. And I kept being, fr- and then finally I was like, I need to write that book. I want mm-hmm. the answer. And nobody has written yeah. that book. I don't get it. Like where like how is like how is how is it possible that book doesn't exist? But it didn't. So for me it was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to find out the answer to this question. Yeah. And then the four tendencies, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is this is real. Like I stumbled across this thing, but holy cow, like I really think this is predictive and and consistent and like I, I you know, so for me a lot of it is the the intellectual excitement of mm-hmm. pursuing something. And of course I hope that it resonates deeply with an audience and I do everything that I can. And I kind of hope that the things that are really exciting and interesting to me will be things that are exciting and interesting to other people. But I don't really think about kind of like the commercialness of it because that's, that's you can't gauge that. Don't focus on outcomes, focus on actions. Because you can't say, I'm going to sit down and write a best-selling book because you can't control whether something's a best-seller. Absolutely. But you can say, I can write every day. I can write or whatever your process is. I can hire an outside editor. I can join a writer's group. I can read widely in my, in my area. So I make sure that I'm completely like up to speed. Like what are the things that you can do? What are the actions that you can take that might contribute to that outcome? But if you focus on the outcome, you can't control the outcome. And so it's kind of yeah. a waste, waste of your mental energy because I think sometimes people think if they just whip themselves up into a, des- a frenzy of desire, that that will somehow speed their way there. But I think actually it drains and distracts people often. Yeah. I, no, I love that. Um, I like to remind the audience and the world that Girl, Wash Your Face was my sixth book. There you go. See? There were five yes. books before that that nobody cared about. Yep. For most people, Outer Order really does contribute to inner calm and focus and a sense of possibility. Um, and, and for men, and I mean, I, I absolutely feel this way myself. This is why I force myself on my friends, because if I am clearing their clutter, I get like the contact high of seeing all yes. this order emerge, but it's not my stuff. So I don't have any of the emotional upheaval that comes from like going through your own things. So it's like all absolutely. the upside. Um, but I mean, like the other night, this is like a month ago, I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. And this is what the sleep experts say is they're like, if you can't sleep, get up from your bed and do some kind of quiet activity. It's better than just sitting there stewing about how you're not going to sleep. So I, I mm-hmm. never believed this, but I've recently been trying it. And yes, it is true. So I got up and I was like, okay, what am I going to do with myself? I decided for whatever reason to clean out my utility closet, which had sort of gone <laughs> overlooked. And I mean, for the next month. I just kept walking by the utility closet to gloat. It just, I felt so good. I'm like, look at how good my (laughs) utility closet looks. This is amazing. It's completely disproportionate. And yet you're right. I mean, for most people, that's how it works. 
when I was walking across Antarctica by myself, and I think you and I are both fond uh, of knowing this about ourselves and the different things we've been through, obviously to have very different lives from each other, but have core values around mindset. And what I come to realize, I'm pulling a 375 pound sled across Antarctica by myself, but still people are like, how'd you do it? How'd you train? You know, how'd you pull that? They're asking, how'd you pull the sled? Like, how did your little muscles do that? I love to say like the most important muscle any of us has in our life is the six inches between our ears, right? Like it is our mind. Like without that, like, yeah, I could tell you what I ate. I could tell you how I, you know, got bigger muscles or whatever, but like, if I didn't have that in my mind, right, there's no way 54 days alone, a thousand miles, et cetera, would have happened across Antarctica. And my average day out there was 12 hours. That was my normal cadence. Literally, that got me to the other side of Antarctica with my last bite of food, having lost 40 some pounds, et cetera, which I know we talked about a couple of years ago when we had that whole conversation. But what was so powerful and palpable for me was the stillness, was the silence, was the tapping into my own inner truth, my inner being. And as I got to the other side of Antarctica, I wasn't left with, I wasn't left with, wow, I did this amazing thing that no one in history has ever done. It wasn't like this chest. Yeah, yes, I had done this thing no one had done. I had all this press, all this media, all this excitement around this achievement. But what I was personally left with inside was this feeling of infinite love, was this feeling of deep fulfillment, was this deep connection to my wife, Jenna, who you know, my family, my community, like that, that's what I felt. I felt full. Like I felt full in my mind, body, and soul. And it was crazy. My body was, my body had declined significantly. I'd lost 40 some pounds. I had frostbite on my face. I was beat up, but my mind was sharp and strong and the most positive high vibration that I could possibly feel. And so I thought that I'd like hacked it. Like I was like, I've got it. Like I've got this for the rest of my life. Like here I go. Sweet. Um, and, and I rode that high for a long time and that has certainly stuck with me, but I found myself during COVID. I think we all remember this moment, March of 2020, April, 2020. Like we all remember that moment, just life disrupted, afraid, scared, doom scrolling the news, everything canceled, trapped him. I mean, I don't know where you were, but I was a a small cabin on the Oregon coast. My family has a house, just me, my wife, Jenna, and my dog, like just kind of like what, what just happened, you know, worried about people's health, worried about family members who are older than me and more at risk. And Jenna looks over at me one day and she's like, you know, I love her, but she's also hard on me. So I did a hard on me in a good way. That little tough love. She's like, you know, babe, you haven't changed out of your uh, pajamas in like three or four days and you just sit there on your, your couch, like doom scrolling the news, like look at these bad headlines and just all this. She's like, so do you want to like do something different tomorrow? <laughs> so, so that's where I ended up. I mean, and I'll be honest, like I said, I'd have this great breakthrough mentally. And I, again, I carry that mental fortitude with me throughout my life, obviously. But it also doesn't mean I'm not human, that I don't have these low moments, these dark places, these dark corners in my mind. And I was in a really, really bad place um, during during that lockdown. And so Jenna kind of, you know, in a conversation with her, was like, when was the last time I felt really full, really fulfilled, really complete? And it turns out I was like, you know, strangely enough, those last that last week in Antarctica. And it was it's such a weird contrast because. It's minus 40 degrees outside. Antarctica is trying to kill you every second of every day. Like I personify Antarctica in, in, in my mind, kind of. But I still found this inner peace. So I said to Jenna, maybe this sounds ridiculous. 
but I'm going for a walk tomorrow, right out of front door. I'm going to go walk 12 hours, just like I did in Antarctica by myself. And, you know, she just laughs at me. She's like, sure, Colin, go have fun. I'll see you at dinner or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk out the front door and about 20 minutes, I'm in the Oregon coast, small little town. No one's out, um, kind of middle of nowhere where we're kind of hiding out during COVID. Um, and walk out my front door and my phone buzzed in my pocket 20 minutes in. And I reached my phone just instinctively. It's like my buddy texted me. I'm going to text him back, whatever, like we do. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Like, I've been staring at my phone, doom scrolling the news, endless social media scrolling. Just like, I'm like, maybe I just think maybe it's a break from my phone, like all of it. So I just kind of instinctively, I'm like, phone goes in airplane mode, goes in my pocket for the rest of the day. No music, no podcast, nothing. Just me alone in my thoughts the whole day. I take breaks. I rest. I walk. But I'm outside mostly walking for 12 hours. And when I get back in my front door, I walk through the front door and Jenna goes, you're back. And I was like, yeah, I told you I was coming back in 12 hours. And she goes, no, 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 you're back. Yes. (laughs) She just like, you know, she knows we've been together for 15 years. She's the love of my life, but she just, just see it in my eyes. That might even say anything. She's like, you're back. Yeah. And I was, it was just like, I mean, I usually get goosebumps. He was just saying, that. I was like, you're right. You're I like, I need like, yes, yes, I am back. And it was just this reset. It was a reset for me. And so how do I go from there to writing a, a book about this and want to share this, which was, I thought, great. I'm the guy who walks across Antarctica. I walk for 12 hours a day. I'm, you know, that that's my thing, like whatever, but COVID's still going on. Right. And I have all sorts of friends that I'm FaceTiming with, Zooming with, colleagues, you know, friends, family members, et cetera. And like generally, and I think just in normal life, we always are always going through ups and downs, but like the world was going through a pretty significant down in this moment, right? So it's a lot of people calling me like, hey, I'm not feeling good. Hey, I'm struggling at work. Hey, I, what is this Zoom thing that we're doing all the time? You know, it's all the things, right? And I said, this might sound ridiculous, but I went for a 12 hour walk by myself in silence and it just fully reset like where I was at. And a lot of people took me up on it. Different walks of life, young, old, my 77 year old mother-in-law, she did her 12 hour walk for that looked like for her was her walking one time around her block in her neighborhood, then sitting on her front porch in silence for an hour and then walking another time. She may have covered a mile. I had my ultra marathon friends go 50 miles. Like what I realized about it is it doesn't matter. It's not a race. It doesn't matter how far you go. I don't care if you go one mile or 50, take as many breaks as you want rest. But this day of silence and stillness and being outside off your phone, the limiting beliefs that we all face, I think it's the 10 most common limiting beliefs. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm not strong enough. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? These are things that you and I are both, I know, deeply passionate about sharing wisdom about. But at the same time, at its core is this single day call to action. And that's why the subtitle is invest one day, conquer your mind and unlock your best life. This 12 hour walk My goal is to inspire 10 million people to take this 12-hour walk. It's free. It is out your front door. We can talk more about the details and things like that because I love talking about it. But it's simple. It's accessible. But it's powerful. There is power in this simplicity. Um, I've seen it change people's lives. And I'm just excited to to share this this simple but yet beautiful wisdom um, with people all around the world. I have done a few things without training. I actually, I, I, I talk about this in the book, actually, which is 
I am a big believer, and I know you are too, of we can just own things in our identity, right? Like, it's not like, I look at like, I don't know, Meryl Streep. She's got all these, you know, accolades and acting, whatever. Like one day she was like, I'm going to try out for my school play. Like, I'm an actress. Right. Like, was, she wasn't Meryl <laughs> right. Streep before that. Or like Stephen King, you know, whatever, 64, you know, New York, first number one New York Times bestselling novels in you know, every single year, whatever. It's like, that dude sat down and write his, wrote his first sentence, like one time, yes. his first paragraph, his first book, like whatever. When I say the 12-hour walk experience, the benefit from this walk starts right now. This is what I mean by that. In this moment of suggestion, you're hearing this for the first time. You're a big fan of Rachel. I'm a big fan of Rachel. You listen to a pod and you're like, okay, it's interesting. Should I do this? What happens in your brain right now is you start bargaining with yourself. You go, actually, this is kind of interesting, but yo, I got, I got kids and a job and this, like, I don't have enough time for this. And you kind of push it away. Or, I mean, I, I just don't like being uncomfortable. And I got to be honest, even I took a lot of breaks, my feet are going to be like kind of sore by the end. Yeah. Like this isn't for me. And what's interesting and why I say it starts right now is this suggestion of this walk is me holding up a mirror to you right now in this moment. It's a mirror to your own internal dialogue, which is looping on some of these limiting beliefs, which is okay. Mm -hmm. I I have those as well. But here's the thing. Those same limiting beliefs that you're likely applying to the 12 hour walk when I'm suggesting this to you. I'm willing to bet are some, if not all of the same limiting beliefs that are on constant loop throughout many different elements of your life, right? That's good. (laughs) And so this, this is, this exercise is even just this conversation is like, Hey, I'm just giving you a look at yourself. We all have these different things, but here's the thing. You get a choice. The reason we call them limiting beliefs We don't call them limiting truths or limiting facts. These are beliefs. Beliefs can be rewritten, reworded, reworked, retooled. You are the story that you tell yourself, right? And so if this, whatever it is, is popping up in your mind as you're hearing this, but you say, you know what? I'm still putting this on my calendar. I'm doing this next Saturday. Or if you want mass, I'm inviting mass participation on September 10th. Lots of people are participating. Again, you're doing it alone, but the accountability of knowing others are out there doing it regardless of what day you put it on your calendar and you do the walk. There's lots of days in our life that you don't remember. You know, what what did you do last Tuesday or a month ago or this? Like you're going to remember this. This experience is going to be in print. It's unique and different. And what happens on the other side of it is this ripple effect that that same loop comes up again. Oh man, I don't have enough time to do X, Y, or Z. My friend invited me to do this or this experience or this opportunity. I don't have enough time. And you go, wait a second. I remember that voice. I remember that voice when Colin suggested me a 12-hour, but I figured out how to get the babysitter, optimize my time to do this important thing for my own self-care, for my own health, my own well-being. And so it's not as if the limiting belief goes away, but it gets quieter. And right. you, you shift, to, you prove to yourself that you can overcome it. So what is the ripple effect that in other ways? So to me, some of the magic, like I said, starts just right now in this conversation. I, I've come to think about life a little bit, the way my brain works on it is on a spectrum of one to 10. So I think of like one being our lowest moments, like just like the, the, the tough things in life, right? You know, like whatever that is, like loss, sadness, a bad breakup, um, 
mile 18 of your marathon when your feet hurt, you just want to give up, right? Like, you know, there's there's some ones and tens of these high highs, you know, the day your first child is born, falling in love, you know, a big achievement for me, crossing Antarctica, touching that post. Like I did it. Like I crossed, I made, you know, whatever, you know, these tens. And we crave these tens. We want these tens. We want these high highs. Who wouldn't want that? I want them. There's my, you know, peak moments of life. But when I reflect on my tens, what I've come to realize is I don't experience these tens in spite of my ones. I experience them because of my ones. Every single one of those tens is connected to some struggle, to some challenge, you know, you know, bring that into entrepreneurship. It's like, okay, you exit this company, you have this success, it gets going. It's like, yeah, but it was hard when I had this idea and I was grinding with a whiteboard in my living room or whatever, or like, like I said about the marathon, you're like, you cross that finish like, I can't believe Colin, I did a marathon without training. You look at that and you're like, yeah, but I bet like there was some moments in there, right? Like for sure. So what I've realized is that unfortunately in our modern, particularly in our modern society, where we can have some modern conveniences, we can Uber Eats from our phone and sit in our living, you know, whatever, is that too often most people are living a life in what I call the zone of comfortable complacency, this, this, this zone between four and six, day in and day out. You know, you go to a job, you don't love it, you don't hate it, but it's just a five. It's just like five five, five, or apply that to relationships. Like hopefully many people are in amazing relationships. I'm so blessed to have an incredible marriage in in my life, but that's taken work as well. But a lot of people are in this relationship where it's like, we're cohabitating, we're coexisting. It's not toxic. It's not like we're like abusive to one another, but it's just kind of like, like five, 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 because why is that? Like, why do we sit there? And I think it's because we're so afraid of the ones, like you said, we're so focused on not having the ones, but guess what? When you don't have the ones, you also take the tens off the table. You take the high highs off the table. You're hedging to be in this center place. I mean, there's a silly analogy, but I think about like, you're sitting there like, yo, I want to remodel my kitchen. We just got done with this big, like gut remodel uh, in our house. And Jenna did incredible jobs. Like I want to remodel this. Well, the first thing you do is you don't end up and wave a magic wand. You end up with like the new appliances and the new floor and the new tile and all that stuff. I'll tell you what you do. You rip it all out. Your plumbing doesn't work. You don't have a fridge for a month or a stove. Like it sucks. It sucks. And again, it's a silly analogy, but just to say like, sometimes it has to get quite a bit or at least a little bit worse to get better. But you have to realize- You have to realize that that challenge is worthwhile. And that's, again, the come, bring it full circle, the 12-hour walk, it's the same thing. Will there be struggles out there? In hour two, hour three, when you're alone, your own thoughts and silence, probably something you've never done or haven't done very often, like there might be some things you're looping on, you know, things that you're working through in your mind. It might be, oh man, I've been avoiding this because I can just look at my phone and distract myself whenever I want. Now I'm faced with this. But I have never known a single person to not get back to their front door 12 hours later, open that door. And that same experience, my wife had your back that, you know, that is that is the common experience, this fulfillment, this gratitude, this pride of what you've just accomplished, i.e. this 10, because you were willing to leave your couch that day, leave that zone of comfortable complacency, try something different, challenging yourself experience maybe a few momentary lows, but that is how we have the juice, the fulfillment, those high highs in life. I think fear is an interesting topic because it's not, 
you know, we think of fear of like being afraid. And for you, the edges were shark diving, which by the way, on the bucket list, haven't done it. I got, I got to tell it. That was really wild. cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, skydiving, whatever in a physical way, but we both know that like fear comes in, you know, fear of failure, fear, fear of criticism, you know, and again, like the fear of being uncomfortable, you know, it comes in different ways, but it has the same effect, which is what's holding back. One question I get a lot be- just because of the sort of life and death nature of some of the stuff that I've done, um, you know, in my athletic career, people ask me all the time, they say, Colin, you must be afraid of dying. Aren't you afraid of dying? You know, I lost some friends this year on an expedition, um, super sad in Pakistan, some trauma that I'm still working through and dealing with. But as I think about that question, I say to myself, and, and I mean this candidly, I say, you know, I am afraid of dying. I don't want to die. Like, I want to live a full life. I want to get to the end of my, you know, my life. I had a beautiful visualization not too long ago of being an old man, funny enough, um, in the same house that we were in COVID, this place in the Oregon coast is just a special place in my heart. And I was a 95 year old man. I was holding my wife's hand, Jenna's hand and the sun was setting. And I realized in this visualization, as the sun was setting, it was my last day. It was my last day. Um, and we were holding hands and I, we were both just like, wow, what a ride, what a journey. And it was, mm-hmm. I was crying in this visualization, but it was also this beautiful moment. So I want to be that old man. I've seen that. I've seen how beautiful it is with kids and grandchildren and a full life and of adventure and loving fully and all the things. So I am afraid of dying. But what I've come to realize is what I'm more afraid of is not living, is not living. Right. Like to, to your exactly what you said, I want to have that lantern effect in my life. And that's not just pushing my edges in physical ways, you know, that I, you know, I guess I'm known for in the world with my 10 world records. It's easy to be myopic. Oh, well, that just means you want to just push the limits. No, I mean that. And like, I want to live fully. I want to be vulnerable. I want to have my heart full with, with family and love and compassion and trust. I want to try hard things. I want to fail at things, businesses, you know, whatever that is, but I want to have the full experience of living rather than being contained in my four, five, six comfort zone of not doing that. And so, yes, 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 yes. To all um, of what you're saying with, with, with trying things that that's scary at trying things that are a little bit outside the comfort zone or a lot of it outside the comfort zone. Cause there's just so much profound growth there. What does success then do to you internally, to the echo of the people that you're surrounding yourself with the reverberation of that and the like, do it again, right? It's the classic you are, you are by no means a one hit wonder. You have many, many hits and many successes and tons of successes in your future. I have no doubt about that as well. I continue to, to, to have hit singles, so to speak. But when you create that art, whatever that is, right? You create before the success, you create it from this place of pure joy and creativity. For me, I, you know, I sit here humbly with 10 world records and the Antarctica crossing was a massive success. And I've had others and big, you know, big, you know, press and media and news and all the things that you've experienced in different ways. And I'm proud. I'm humbled by that. But one thing Jenna, my wife has always asked me before any one of my big projects, before anything we do in the public eye, anything like this. I love this. I love this question. It's been great grounding for me. She goes, if you could tell nobody about it, would you still do it? And, and again, we've, 
we've talked a lot about Antarctica, Ooh, so I'll leave it good. on. Yes, she says, Jenna. she says to me, right? Like I'm, I should, so I'm getting, I just, I just did this New York times interview right before I get dropped off in Antarctica. And actually the weight of that actually kind of screwed me up in those first couple of days. Cause like I told everyone and I don't want to fail. Cause I, all of a sudden I got pulled into that. But she says to me, she's like, would you still be going out there? And one of the reasons she asked me that is a, is a part of heart and soul. And it's also because some of the things I do, like I said, do implicitly have some life and death risks, like some real stakes to them, but it's more about heart. Would you do this if you could tell nobody about it? And every single one of my 10 world records and the big projects that I've done, as well as the things I've failed at, by the way, that there's 10 successes and there's another hundred plus failures, which I write about in the book. This book is me being vulnerable. This book is actually me showing you all the limiting beliefs. This is not a, uh, this is not a highlight reel of Colin O'Brady's life. This is the opposite. This is the background of like, oh, this didn't work. This is how we built their business, et cetera. But every single one of the things that I've done, I have answered that question to Jenna. Yes. I want to walk across an order because I'm actually curious how that is going to impact me as a human being, as a father, future father, as a, as a, as a, as a husband, as a parent, you know, all the things. That's why I'm curious about it. You and I both are passionate storytellers. So we love the ability for our life experiences to have this ripple effect of positivity and impact throughout the world. And so I do, I, I say, share this, share your story. Everyone has a story. And I think that that's valuable in your community at scale on a podcast, whatever that is. But at its core, would you do this if no one was watching? What's standing in the way of you living your best life? And but the number one response, which was probably over 50% of the responses were, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. And again, we'll fill out the full sentence. It's basically, I am not living my best life because I don't have enough money. Or the implication being, if I got knocked over the head with a bunch of cash, I would suddenly be living my best life which I think you and I both know to not actually be the case. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But But, if you haven't ever experienced that, you're like, I'd like to give it a try. For sure. For sure. And, and, and I, and I'm all about that. So I was like, okay, if everyone's asking this question, like, let's freaking talk about it. Like, cause this is important. And by the way, for those that don't know my story, I read about this in the book, but I grew up very poor. I did not have a lot of resources in my life. When I dreamed up my first world record project, you know, it was literally Jen and I penciled. I was like, going to cost half a million dollars. And we had like a few thousand dollars in the bank account and was like, cool. Like that's where most ideas die. That's like, great. I'd live my best life and climb Everest to go to the North and South pole. If I got hit over the head with a half a million dollars, (laughs) but here's the thing. One is I have found that many of my most valuable experiences in my life actually don't cost money. They don't cost money. You know, it doesn't cost any money to fall in love. It doesn't cost any money to be in the amazing community. Generally speaking, it doesn't like, there's a lot of things that don't cost money, but we're going to talk about actually how you make money in a second here. But the 12 hour walk is an invitation to think you aren't doing interesting things in your life. You're not taking that exotic vacation to your friend was in some, no, you saw on like as Instagram, someone in Borneo with like this, like hut across the ocean. And like, that's their best life. What else? I don't have anything interesting to talk about it. My family dinner, my this, I'm like, okay, here's something that's free. Put your shoes on, walk outside your door for 12 hours in silence, go inside. And then when you're at dinner on Saturday and everyone's talking about their vacation <laughs> and this, what'd you do last week? 
Well, actually walked alone in silence. I promise you, because I've watched this happen over and over again. That is a conversation stopper. People are like, wait, you did what? Tell me more about that. That will spark a more interesting conversation with more depth in your community, in your family, in your tribe than, oh yeah, check out this Instagram of me of this beach in Mallorca, like dancing with whatever. I'm not saying don't go dance. We're going to talk about how you're going to get on that beach as well. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one thing. That is one way the, the, the walk connects. But the other way, the other way is this time alone is a great, as we talked about before, a way for you to evaluate and have a mirror held up to yourself, right? Of what is holding you back. So we have, you know, a life savings. If we scrapped everything together, we have $10,000 between us. If we sold everything and have everything, whatever. And the thing we're dreaming about doing costs half a million dollars. Like that is a far distance. <laughs> from each other. Like, right, right. That's where you just go like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm never going to be able to do this. But here's where we talk about scarcity and abundance, which is the scarcity mindset says, well, you have $10,000. You're never going to have half a million dollars. That's it. Make peace with it. That's it. Like that's the way your life's going to go. But the abundance mindset, the walk teaches this, the, in, the insights you have, and the book teaches this, which is to say the abundance mindset goes, okay, I don't have that right now. Let's be honest. I do not have half a million dollars right now or whatever that number is of the thing that you're dreaming to do. But what do I have? It starts looking at opportunities and going, okay, but what do I have? What assets do I have? And us in that moment, the assets were not vast. It was, it was $10,000 was okay. We have Google, we have the internet, we have different ideas. We have different networks. We have, have, have different people to ask. And I know you and I have talked about this before, so I won't go too in depth about it, but it's that idea to say, what do I have in this moment? And I, can I have more in the future? Can I knock on one more door? Can I send one more email? Can I have the universe conspire to help me? I mean, call it the law of attraction, call it the universe, whatever. When you start putting your passion to your goal, it was ridiculous. I was in my late twenties with $10,000, but I started telling every single person I knew, Hey, next year. I'm going to go do this project. How much money does that cost? Half a million dollars. Where are you going to come up with it? I don't know, but I'm going to keep asking people. I'm (laughs) going to keep asking people. And I won't spoil the whole story. I talk about it in the book. But the fact of the matter is, whatever that dollar figure is that you think is holding you back, that there's two lessons. I'll say them concisely. One is most, I'll say it again. Most of the most important stuff in life actually does not cost very much money. So the true essence of life. However, however, there's this archetype of climber bum living in his van outside of this, this, which a lot of people look at me and they overlay that archetype and nothing to knock. I've been the dirtbag climber outdoor guy a lot of my life. I've also had a lot of financial success at this point in my life. Um, I have. And it's great. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of, you know, the kid who had to paint his, you know, white Jack Purcells, you know, with white out to now the place where I have abundance in my life and I have freedom and I have a beautiful home and I have, you know, all the things I wanted, you know, in the material sense, but I got there and we can all get there by shifting from that scarcity mindset. That scarcity mindset holds us in this static place, this place of, well, that's not for me. I can never have it. Now, Important caveat. This is not a silver bullet. This is not like a get rich quick scheme overnight. It could happen a lot faster than you might think it happens. But it's not just like, hey, well, read my chapter on abundance and you're going to be rich tomorrow. 
Because the juice in there and the juice that the walk teaches you is the grit, the perseverance, the ability to take one more step. The abundance mindset is a mindset, but the actualization of that is by having the abundance mindset today, tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, while you continue to chip away and take action for towards your goals. And yeah. so I have a very simple, you know, four steps in the book. And again, get the book, pick it up. You'll learn about this in the book more directly, but it is how to a shift from that mindset and then take that mindset in a tangible way throughout your life until the universe, your community, the world conspires to help you reach your financial goals and unlock that part of your life. I fundamentally believe we all have the capacity to do that. It takes different routes and, and different routes. There's different goals. There are different numbers. But the difference between scarcity and abundance is vast. I talked about this before, this possible mindset, this mindset, this empowered mindset that believes in the limitless possibilities. Through the book, The 12-Hour Walk, what I realized is that we are born with possible mindsets. We actually come into the world wondering, what can I do? To your point, what can I do? How can I get there? What can I do? But unfortunately, society at large, and I know you and I are fighting back against this and trying to inspire communities to believe differently, society at large is teaching us that we can't. And so again, right. anecdotally over time, the 500 hands turn to 100 hands and turn to 50 hands and turn to 200 hands as we age, as we get older, as we lose our possible mindset. So when I say I'm instilling a possible mindset in people, it's not something that I am teaching you that's new. I'm actually teaching you something that you were born with that is in your DNA, that is in your spirit. This exists yes. already for you. The idea of kind of like self-love and self-acceptance and seeing it for threes, whatever, here we go. We're like fully going. <laughs> I love it. Status. For people favorite. that really want to achieve, um, it feels like giving up. Yeah. But the truth is that you're not good at it. Right. So you actually are, rather than taking a step back, you're taking a step forward in a yeah. different direction. And that helped me right. as like someone who's like, I need to win. I need to achieve. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm getting better yeah. at self-acceptance. Yeah. That is actually moving forward. Right. It's not just dropping my hands and going like, I give up needing, needing validation in yeah. every single moment. The thing of achieve, achieve, achieve made total sense to me when I was 21 coming into it. And I just ran the race. Yeah. And oh my God, trying to be of service to everybody else. I love what I do. There's so much purpose. But at 38 now with this pandemic, we all collectively are like, we should take a look at exactly how we're doing this. Is this the version of success that we want? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I felt bad for any of the teenagers that didn't get to go to their prom or, you know, just like different generations. But also there's like, whoa, but you also, there's going to be something you understand about life yeah. that I didn't understand. Yeah. The type of music that I make and the connection that, you know, you make with your fans, like people are coming to sing tonight, but the DMs that I woke up to this morning were like, so excited to come, had leukemia. You listen to your song religiously. Like, oh, that's yeah. what we're doing tonight. Yeah. We're like pushing you through the hard points right. of your life. You know, the music that I make, I heard this quote one time, like music is like a spiritual chiropractor. And if you do it right, yeah. people come in and they leave and they're like, ah. Yeah, music sick. is medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And I think at some point, everybody has a burden to bear with how they will be perceived. And if it's your purpose, then you just go like, yeah, All right, that's okay. This yeah. is what it is. Yeah. You know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, yeah. I know that, um, that I will be perceived a certain way 
Can I do a poem for you? Of course. You can okay. do literally anything. It is no longer impressive to me to watch these melancholy documentaries exposing that behind the things we buy, we love, or eat is a bunch of shitty people run by money, sex, and greed. I'm not impressed with the focus. I know what they say, it might be true. We ignore the beauty of the forest, obsessing on low-hanging fruit. What about my soul? What about this life? What about the infinite space in the sky? What about the galaxies and possibilities swimming in my daughter's eyes? I've been labeled positive, optimistic, the guy that makes the happy music. And while I'm flattered with these words, come with an aftertaste of stupid. As if smart people are the ones that used to smile but learned their lesson. As if the scientific truth of reality is that it's depressing. I do not agree. So if it's stupid to see the good in everything, then hell yeah, call me naive. <laughs> right? That's amazing. That's just like my... In the beginning, you have this huge stress that like, can I even do this? Am yeah. I wasting my time? Yeah. Is this ever going to be worth it? And then as soon as you get uh, a little bit of success, then you're like, I can never do it again. Uh, and then you get, hopefully, if you're lucky, some more success. And you're like, I'm never going to do it again. Like, at some point, you got to sit back and go, I just show up. Right, right. You know, I have this this speech coming up and I don't really do speeches. And so that's a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah. And the only thing that I know to be true is like, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do is wait until the very end and just to try. I just know that if I show up and put an hour and a half of my heart in every single day leading up to this thing, it's going to be great. Yeah, of course it is. That's where I'm settling back into in my life right now is like, I know that if I show up and give my heart for a good amount of time every day, things things usually work out. If you look at the curve of how it goes, it works. That's so. Uh, I'm reading this book, which is awesome. Have you read From Strength to Strength? No. Oh my god. You're okay, love great. It. I'm it's getting really it. On the, I already bought it. And it's mind. very much on the idea that uh, it's a little bit. I, I would say I think it's a little bit early for me, but maybe not. So it's about the second half of life, mm. right? And that what makes people happiest over their lifetime, and they find the people who really shoot up high to the special thing have a lot farther to fall because everybody will decline no matter who you are. You will decline. That's part of life. And so they find that people that are super successful and high achievers have a much harder time in the second half when they start to come back down. Yeah. And the people that never reached the super high were a little bit more comfortable just being one of the pack are like a little bit happier. Yeah. So that is really fantastic to me. Kind of what we're speaking to is like, okay, how do I do this job which is like has this whole aura of rock star around it. Right. Um, and and still find, create enough space in my life to where, and not in a way that I'm like proud of that. It's it's a really hard thing to even talk about because you're like, well, this is such a big deal. It's so hard to be normal. <laughs> like sincerely, oh man, I'm not being served in this way. This yeah. is like not good for my it's heart. It's empty. And especially for men, that feels awkward and weak. Hmm. feels like really, wait, why do do I need it, first of all? How do I even do it? And what is this process? It felt like going to class, having not done my homework or something like, oh, I'm really bad at this. Yeah. So then you're going from this fake thing you're telling yourself that I'm very special to like, I'm actually not that good at this and I'm a novice. So here I am. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. 
It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.